Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sand Hill, FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast you're about to enjoy was given live before the congregation at Sand Hill. It's our desire as a church to live Christ to people while loving people to Christ. We pray that this podcast will invigorate and encourage your walk with Christ because here at Sand Hill, we believe that Christians can still be unwavering in our faith if we hold fast to the absolute truth of God's mighty word. For more sermons like this, as well as additional content, we invite you to visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord. What a joy it is to be His child. Mm, There is nothing like it. I'd like to ask a question before we get started this evening, and knowing most of you, Jamie, uh, you'll, you'll be tempted to answer this with the textbook answer, but I truly challenge you throughout this message, I want you just to look at yourself, look at your life, look at your actions, look at your motives, look at you, don't look at your neighbor, don't look, look at you, and I want you to ask yourself this question personally, why seek ye Jesus? Why seek ye Jesus? That's the message tonight. What if I were to tell you that Jesus actually will not accept just any answer to that question? Boy, you won't hear that out in just all the churches of America today. Jesus will not accept every answer to the question, why seek ye me? Your answer to this question means everything. It's your salvation. It's your destination. It's how you live your life. Why you do what you do. Your answer to this question reaches into every aspect of your life. Why seek ye Jesus? Church, why seek ye Jesus? We're going to be looking, I I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, you know, phone app, whatever you've got, I'd like you to turn with me. We're going to be going through many places in the book of John. Uh, Those of you in Steadfast Studies know I've been going through John with a microscope. And so uh, this is where the Lord led us tonight. But we're going to start in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verses 22 or I'm sorry, verses 23 through 25. If you'd like to stand with me, I'm just going to read a couple verses here. John 2, verses 23 through 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name, and when they saw the miracles, which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Would you join me in prayer this evening? Lord, as we come to you once again, God, how I am, God, I'm so humbled, I'm so grateful, Lord. Lord, you know, Lord, I am nothing but, Lord, an unworthy, but such a willing vessel, Lord. Lord, I have no words for these folks, Lord. In fact, my words will lead them astray, but God, you have the words of eternal life, God, help me to be the branch, God. Help me just allow you to flow in and through me, God. May my hands be your hands and my feet your feet, my mouth your mouth, my mind your mind, God. Would you take control of this message? God, speak to our hearts. Lord, guide my tongue, God. Help me just to do your will, Lord, for without you I can do nothing. Lord, without you I am nothing. Oh, God, I need you, and I'm calling upon you because you are faithful and we stand upon your name. Lord, how we love you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So if you're reading through the book of John, these verses that we just read, oddly enough, kind of underline 
all of the scenes that we see. We know in the book of John, there's the woman the well, there's Nicodemus, there's all these scenes, right? All these scenes that Jesus goes through. And these verses we just read underline all of those, because it's like when Jesus goes and he talks to these folks, it's like he knows them. And yet, we just read, he... He knows them, right? And so all of these scenes, it's like he has this this knowledge of who he's talking to. And if we really grasp what John writes here, it is completely amazing and so humbling. Jesus knows all men and what is in all men. If you allow me this evening, I'd like us to personalize that. Let's put our name in there. You can do it with me. Jesus knows your name here. Ready? Jesus knows Josh. And he knows what is in Josh. We find in chapter 2 that because Jesus knows man, and because he knows what is in man, that we may believe on him, Jesus will not commit himself unto us. Right? That's what we just read there. He knew what was in them. He knew them, so he would not commit himself to, the, to them. So if you look at these verses in your Bible, you'll notice that in verse 23, we find the word believe. Look at that word there in your Bible. You'll find the word believe in verse 23. And in verse 24, you'll find the word commit. Have you found those two words? Those are actually the same word in the original text. It's the word pistuo. And what this word means is to believe. This is the word that Jesus says that if you want to be saved, you have to pistuo. You have to believe upon me. And so we know that these people that Jesus is talking about here, they believed on him. They did what it took to be saved. And so he writes... That, he, that they pursue upon him. These people who John writes of, they believe Jesus. But what we find is that though they believed on Jesus, Jesus would not believe upon them. How, how often do we talk about who Jesus believes on, right? If you look at the end of verse uh, 24 there, you'll find the word knew, as in Jesus knew all men. So this word that John uses is the word gnosko which is a type of knowledge that comes from intimate experience. This is the same word that Jews use to describe when a man and woman intimately know one another, to know them in a biblical sense, you may have heard, right? That's what this word is, gnosko. It means to intimately have experience and to know somebody. Jesus intimately gnoskos you. Jesus intimately gnoskoed these folks here. He knew them intimately from experience. And you'll see here that... In verse 25, he writes that Jesus knew what was in man. He gnoskoed what was in man and what man was. And so just like uh, Jesus is ministering here in Jerusalem, and these people believe on Jesus just like they have to do to be saved, but Jesus was unwilling to believe upon them because he gnoskoed them. Jesus intimately knew them and what was in them. And this is our first point this evening. Jesus knows people. The alarming truth this evening is this. All belief is not created equally. Everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Every person who prays a prayer, who comes to an altar, who gives their heart to God, even those who believe Jesus will not necessarily commit unto your belief. Because he knows, he gnoskos you. He intimately has experienced you. Jesus knows us, every pure and every poor motive, every true and every trivial reason. He knows us. Jesus knows every person sitting here tonight. He knows every one of you who are joining us online. And that means that we are fully exposed. 
We are completely transparent. We are stripped away of every fake facet that fills our lives. And no matter what we say, no matter what we uphold ourselves as, no matter what we claim, Jesus gnoscos us. He knows us. He intimately has experienced us. And as such, he is unwilling to commit himself or to believe upon us. He's not falling for it. He's, he knows us too well. Too well to trust what we say. Too well to take us at our words. Too well to believe what we claim to be as a Christian. Even if we say we believe in him, he knows us. He gnoscos us. And this evening, I want to openly admit to you that I think you all are a bunch of swell folks. I'm just being honest. When it comes to the folks at Sand Hill, I often like, like you to a fault. I often think you have no flaws. I'm wrong. I often put on rose-colored glasses and, and see the halo effect. I love you all. And so easily I could stand up here and preach to you all and think, you know what? They're doing pretty well. Jesus, just go on to the next group of these Sand Sandhillians, Sand Hillbillies, whoever we are. They're doing just fine. But do you know, it really doesn't matter what I see. It really doesn't matter what I think. It really doesn't matter who you've convinced me that you are because Jesus knows you. Jesus gnoscos you. Every dark corner, every secret path, everything about you, he knows intimately. He gnoscos you. And so, he knows you intimately from experience and what's within you. And this evening, as we get into the message, you may, may you be reminded that if you have no desire, if you have no interest for your life to be changed, Jesus knows that. Ooh, that's a scary thought. <laughs> Jesus knows if you have no interest of taking what well, we're going to learn here tonight to heart. He knows that. He knows that now. He knows you're going to sit here. Nope. He knows that. Ooh, that's scary. Oh, that's, that's a scary thought. Jesus knows us. Why seek ye Jesus? We find in chapter 6, would you turn with me to chapter 6? We're going to do a little bit of time there. We find the account of the feeding of the 5,000. We all know the story. Jesus miraculously multiplies a lad's lunch. With, he feeds a massive crowd of people by breaking fishes and loaves. And if you'll turn with me to chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, we read, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of truth that the prophet that should come into the world... When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Drop down to verse 23 and 24. Howbeit, even though that was the case, even though he hid, even though he ran to hide from them, howbeit, there came other boats from Tiberias right unto the place where they did eat bread. After that, the Lord, given thanks, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Secondly, not only does Jesus know people, but Jesus knows our pursuit. We have here a group of people who experienced the miracle work of Jesus in their own life, personally. And from that experience of the miracle, they believed 
pistuo, they believed upon Jesus. And from that belief upon Jesus, they pursue, they seek after, they chase after Jesus. In fact, they so passionately pursue Jesus that they commandeer a boat and they cross a sea just to seek him. These people, by all appearances, were all in. They, they, from the outside, were dedicated folks, devoted folks who were seeking Jesus. These devoted disciples of action put their faith to and belief into motion, and they pursue after Jesus. Jesus is getting in the boat. He's going to the other side. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. He's going. He's going. He's going. He's going. They were putting their faith into action. They were pursuing, seeking after Jesus. But though they had such passion, and though they pursued Jesus, there was a problem with their answer to the question, why seek ye Jesus? We read in verse 15, Jesus perceived of them. He perceived of them. Guess what word that is? Gnosko. He knew of them. He intimately had knowledge. He perceived of them. And so, not only does Jesus know people, but he knows our pursuit. He knows the truth about the reasons we follow him. And from this perception, from this gnosko of their pursuit, Jesus literally darts. He dodges these disciples. He hides completely from these people who were passionately pursuing him. These people who were sincerely sailing and seeking him. Jesus hides. Hide and seek, boys. You know the game. Jesus hides. Is that head scratcher for anybody else? Maybe I'm the only one who scratches their head of that. Jesus is hiding. Jesus, the one who admits that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. Jesus, who says that all who will believe on him can be saved. Jesus, who says that he, anyone who will come unto me, anyone who will believe, anyone who will come unto me can be saved. And Jesus hides from these people. Jesus, what are you doing? He hides. A huge crowd of converts, a huge crowd of passionate people pursuing Jesus, and he hides. What was Jesus thinking? He has here a massive following, a giant crowd of sold-out, dedicated, all-in passionate followers who want to follow his teachings and hear his words. This is what every pastor wants. This is what every church in America wants, right? A big crowd of people who love Jesus. That's what Samuel wants. And Jesus hides from them. Anyone scratching your head now? A little bit, little bit better. A little bit better. So why would Jesus hide? It's puzzling. It's peculiar. It's, it's perplexing. Why would Jesus hide? Why seek ye Jesus? The fact is Jesus perceives. Jesus gnoscos. He knows the answer to that question. Why do you seek him? And regardless of what you say, regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you tell others, Jesus sees right through that and he perceives the reason of your pursuit. He knows why it is that you follow after him. He knows the reason that you are seeking him. And this scene tells us that there is, in fact, a right and a wrong answer to why seek ye Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus will evade. Jesus will run and hide if you give the wrong answer, the wrong reason, the wrong pursuit of following him. So what exactly would make him hide? Why seek ye Jesus? What answer to that question could be so horrible that God himself hides from you? Look again at verse 15. These people sought him 
Because they wanted to make him king. These disciples desired Jesus to be what they wanted him to be. Instead of what he actually came to be. Did you catch that? They wanted Jesus to be what they wanted him to be. Instead of what he came to be. Even by force. They were willing to take Jesus and force him to be the king of their earthly throne. When he came to be king of their heart. Jesus had no desire to rule in Jerusalem. Jesus had no intentions of reigning over Rome. No aspirations to become an earthly ruler. Yet these people wanted the will of man over the will of God. They wanted to serve Jesus in their way instead of his way. They wanted Jesus to fix their earthly lives. To overthrow their earthly oppressions instead of their spiritual oppressions. They wanted him as their earthly king instead of their savior. Their earthly king instead of their life changer. Their earthly king instead of their spiritual light in darkness. So much so that they per- that Jesus perceived, he gnoscoed, he knew that if he didn't go hide from them, they would force him. These passionate people would take him and make him be king whether he liked it or not. Understand, it it wasn't like they misunderstood Jesus. It wasn't like, oh, I I read that wrong. I read the back of the box wrong. My bad. Jesus had just spent all of this time. We know what they were doing at the feeding of the 5,000. He was teaching them. That's why they stayed, right? That's why they were hungry. They had sat through teaching. They had been taught. Jesus, his whole ministry has been telling them, he's come to do the will of God. He's come to do the will of God. He's come to do the will of God. It wasn't like they didn't know. They knew why Jesus was here. They knew the reason he came, and yet they wanted their way, not God's way. These people in the crowd had been provided with the proper reason to seek Jesus, a proper explanation as to why he had come, and yet, even in knowing the proper reason, they pursued him for the wrong reason, their own reason. These people wanted Jesus in their will and their way. Jesus, just, just, you know, why don't you put your will and your desires on the back burner, Just table your commands, table your callings on our life. Hold off on the shining of your light in our darkness. Push pause on making us more like you into into new creations. Instead, just, just, Jesus, take our throne. Rule our city. Bring us more bread. Provide for our immediate needs. Here and now, Jesus, just, just make us feel good. Satisfy our temporary needs. Give us more of your benefits. Give us more of your blessings that we can receive here and now. Why seek you, Jesus? These people believed in his significance. They believed in his teachings. They believed in his power. They believed in his ability. They believed he was the Messiah. We read that in verse 15. They believed he was the one they had long awaited for. And so they passionately pursue him, but for the wrong reasons. And Jesus knew it. These people were literally about to come and take Jesus by force and doggone it, whether Jesus liked it or not, he was going to be our king. He offered instead of interest in spiritual truth, instead of uh, interest in newness of life that he offered, instead of the light that he shone in their darkness, they only wanted him for what they could get out of him here and now. Why seek ye Jesus? This is still our question. Here in 2021 at Sand Hill, if this crowd, this too many Ps, this particular crowd of people if they were to be here among us, here at St. Hill, we'd probably look at them and say, oh, finally, finally a bunch of, bunch of dedicated folks, finally a bunch of passionate folks, finally a bunch of folks who love Jesus. These are the good guys. These are the good Christians. These folks, no doubt, they'd be here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Sunday school, praise God. They no doubt would have all the best recipes at the potluck. They no doubt would 
have the testimonies, they'd sing the songs, they'd raise their hands, they'd... they were the right people doing the right things for the wrong reasons. He intimately knew them. He intimately knew what was in them. He gnoscoed them, and he perceived their reason for pursuing him. And from this knowledge, Jesus darts. Jesus darts these disciples. This is the thing. Why seek ye Jesus? Because all answers to that question are not acceptable. Not every answer to that question is valid or accepted by Jesus. Why seek ye Jesus? Because he can see your heart. He can see your motives. He intimately knows you and your makeup. And he knows the real reason that you're pursuing him. Why seek ye Jesus? Are you like these folks that wanted Jesus as their earthly king who could sit on their throne that provided here on earth, but who were unwilling to allow Jesus to sit on their throne of their heart? Are you happy with him ruling your world, but not your life? Are you satisfied with Jesus giving you blessings and benefits, but not rebirth? Why seek ye Jesus? We find in verse 26, look with me here at verse 26. Jesus calls them out. Mic drop, Amy. Jesus does a mic drop here. He calls them out. Verse 26, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, ye pursue me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the food which perisheth, but for the food which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Thirdly, tonight, Jesus knows people. Jesus knows our pursuit, but Jesus knows our purposes for him. Why seek ye Jesus? Their purpose for him was the bread that he had given them. They saw Jesus because he was able to provide for their physical needs. In that day, famines were very common. Starvation was a real thing. And so, man, we just we found the guy who can multiply bread with just the snap of the fingers. Bread for you, bread for you. He's got nothing on Oprah, right? Bread for everybody. Jesus can multiply bread like crazy. And so, yeah, let's, let's follow this guy. Let's pursue this guy. They were following him for the bread. A man who could meet their physical needs, who could provide for them when they were in a pinch. Why seek ye Jesus? Jesus calls them out, tells them that they don't seek him because they saw the miracles that he did. What that means, if you look that up in in the original language, it means that they did not perceive the spiritual application of why he did this miracle. All they got out of it was yummy bread. Bunch of Baptists. But instead, they sought Jesus for his, his stuff. They sought Jesus for his benefits, for his blessings. They believed because of the bread, and Jesus knew their purpose. He knew exactly what they wanted from him. Why seek ye Jesus? Thousands of years have gone by. Can I tell you that human tendencies have not changed a bit? Too often, we seek after Jesus because we're told that he can heal us. We are told that he can provide for our problems. He can supply our needs. Come follow Jesus. Your life will be much better then. I seek you, Jesus. You did eat the loaves and were filled, Jesus could tell us again today. Are we seeking him for what he can give us and where he can get us to? Because he knows our purposes. Why seek ye Jesus? Jesus tells us in verse 27, look at verse 27. He says, labor not 
for the things that will pass away. Well, what's wrong with bread? I am, Jenny can tell you, I am a bread lover. Mm, I could go for some bread right now. Love bread. Put some butter, nothing like it. Even without butter, still like it. Bread. But there's a problem with bread. It ends. <laughs> That's the problem. If you've ever been to the restaurant where they bring the baskets of the bread, it ends. It's a, very, it's a problem. Jesus says, labor not for the things that will pass away. Don't seek after the answer to physical needs. Don't pursue the providing of possessions. Don't seek Jesus because he's able to provide for you the things that still eventually are going to go away. Jesus, in so many words, tells these dedicated disciples, well, what happens when I stop multiplying bread? What happens when... What happens to your purposes then? What happens to your belief then? When I don't heal your loved one, when I don't do the miracles you want me to do, when I don't fulfill your will, what happens to your belief then? You're believing on me because of the bread. What then? What happens to your belief? Bread is temporary. Bread is going to go away. Your purposes are also temporary for me. Your belief on me is also temporary. And Man, was he right. We read here in verse 14, They believe, dude, this is the Messiah, this is the chosen one. We believe, we believe, we believe. Look what they do in verse 30. They're out of there. They're questioning. No, but I don't know. They don't want you. You gotta gotta give us a sign. We don't think that's who you are. Bread believers are always temporary believers. Whenever we labor, whenever we work, whenever we seek Jesus for temporary blessings that he can provide for us, we are seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons, according to Jesus. Labor not for temporary blessings like bread because it will not last. And just like the bread would eventually go stale and run dry, Jesus would eventually stop multiplying it and their belief would stop too. Because Jesus plainly told us that his ways are far above our ways. His thoughts are far beyond our thoughts. In John, if you read through John, we find over and over and over and over, Jesus says, I come to do the will of the Father. I come to do the will of the Father. I come to do the will of the Father. And guess whose will is not the Father? Everybody else. And so that means that if you're following him for what he can give you, eventually you're not going to get what you're believing in him for. Does that make sense? And so if we're seeking Jesus for the purpose of getting what we want, what happens when the bread runs out? What happens when his will is the opposite of my will? What happens when his ways are not my ways? What happens when his wants contradict what I want? What happens to my belief and my purposes for him then? Why seek you, Jesus? I'm going to admit, I'm going to strip some gears here, ruffle a few feathers. Something that probably a preacher should never say. Do we realize that Jesus is not the only place that you can find provision for your physical needs. Did you catch that? There are other places much easier to get help from than Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, all blessings come from above. It's all from him. But what I mean by that is if you're seeking Jesus because he can help you when you're starving, it's only a matter of time before you find someone else who can help your hunger Someone else who, can pursue, who you can pursue that's easier to follow, who has lower expectations and lower standards, who can also put food on your table. If you're seeking him because he can take care of your family, because he can keep you employed, because he can make you happy, give it time, because those things are temporary, those things will fade away. The truth is there are a lot easier places. 
There are a lot easier places to find temporary happiness than Jesus. Did you catch that? There are a lot easier places to find temporary happiness than Jesus. There are easier ways to find temporary peace, easier ways to find financing and health and contentment than from Jesus. Because Jesus comes with requirements. Why seek ye Jesus? Because if the answer to that question is anything found in the physical, anything of this world, anything of this earth, any answer of what will pass away, then you're laboring, you're seeking for the wrong reasons. And Jesus illustrates this in the rest of chapter 6. It's very long and we're not going to read it. I encourage you to go home and read it. But this is the synopsis of the rest of the chapter. Bread, believers, never last. That's the rest of chapter 6. That's the Cliff Notes version. Bread, believers, never last. Those who seek him and those who believe on him for the wrong reasons, those who are his disciples because of what he can do for them, won't be around much longer. There will come a day when it's too laborsome and too much effort and too much work is required to seek Jesus, and so they will go elsewhere to find what they are looking for. If you seek Jesus for his blessings, then there will come a point when you will be persuaded out of your belief. If you seek Jesus for his benefits, there will one day come when you will walk away because the cost of serving him is too steep. And this is exactly what Jesus warns us of in the Gospels over and over. Count the cost. What are you doing? Count the cost. Count the cost. Because to be his follower is to lay down your life daily, to pick up your cross. That's the cost if you want to be my disciple. If you're unwilling to give up your life in order to follow me, then keep on walking, Jesus could say. Because there will come a day when you will turn your back and you will follow me no more. We find the rich young ruler, perfect example. He was unwilling to pay the price and follow Jesus, unwilling to become changed, to become more like Jesus. We see King Agrippa, right, with Paul. And he is so close to becoming a Christian, but he had the wrong purposes. He had the wrong answer to the question, why seek ye Jesus? We find Judas who was just about to believe, right? And yet he was unwilling to have light shone upon his darkness that changes him. And so each went away sorrowful. Each had the wrong answer to why seek ye Jesus. Can I tell you, there is more hope for someone who walks away after counting the cost than someone who follows and makes up their own rules for following Jesus. Someone who follows Jesus according to what they think a Christian means. Someone who lives a life for themselves. Depart, Jesus will say. I don't know who you are, but you're not one of mine. I never knew you. I never gnoscoed you. I never had an intimate relationship with you that changed you from the inside and brought my will to earth. Depart into eternal damnation. Look at verse 27 again. While Jesus tells us not to labor for these temporary things, Jesus also tells us what to labor for. We are to labor and to work for that which will endure. Labor and passionately pursue what only Jesus can give you. Jesus says, do labor, do work, do passionately pursue for that which will endure eternally. Everlasting life, do labor, do work, do passionately pursue for what only the Son can give you. Why seek ye Jesus? Your labor habits, what you're working 
towards is possibly the greatest sign of the answer of your question. If you're seeking Jesus for the bread, for the benefits, for the blessings which he can provide, if you're seeking him for the perks that he can give to you, then chances are you're not laboring for what will endure. So what exactly, Jesus says to to labor for what endures, what exactly endures? What exactly should we labor for? Turn Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus, what should we labor for? Jesus, I'm not laboring for bread. I'm not working for bread. I'm not passionately pursuing you for bread. But Jesus, what should I work for? Because you just told me to work and labor for that which endures forever. What is that exactly, Jesus? Well, he tells us in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that ye might know thee... The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Don't labor for what will pass away. Don't labor for the bread blessings. But do, but do labor for eternal life. Do give effort. Do work. Do passionately pursue his will, his ways, his word. Pursue him. Do labor for what will never pass away. If you're seeking Jesus for the right reasons, then you will spend each moment of your life laboring and giving all that you've got to know more and more and more and more of Jesus. Laboring every moment to go closer to him, more intimate with him, more understanding of him and his ways. And this was the debate that Jesus had with these believers here in the remainder of chapter 6. They lacked an interest in what he came to do. They lacked an interest in him himself. They lacked a desire to know more of him. They wouldn't believe enough on who he was to change their lives. These disciples believed enough in his abilities. They believed enough in his benefits and his blessings and his bread. But there was no desire to know him. There was no desire to be changed by him. Why seek ye Jesus? I'm going to be completely honest and admit that truly I struggle with Christians who lack a desire and lack interest in learning more about Jesus. Christians who have no desire for God's word. Why seek ye Jesus? Well, well, why, why, why did you get saved in the first? Why did you come here? What are you doing here? Why seek ye Jesus? What did you come to him for? Why do you think he saved you? Why, why do you think, what, what exactly do you think eternal life is? What, 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 it, what is this? It, it's knowing him. Why seek ye Jesus? How's your time in the word? How's your Bible studying and Bible reading and Bible groups and, and Sunday school? How's your time in the word? How's your time devoted to learning who this God is that made a way for you to know him? How's your time learning what he has said and learning his commands and understanding his will for your life? How often do we find excuses? How often do we make reason for anything under the sun except for our Bible or except for his word in our lives? Why seek ye Jesus? Why are you serving him? Because Jesus says to labor. Labor, guys. We know the word labor. He says to labor. Listen, this church knows labor. Amen? Listen, I said, this church knows labor, amen? Amen. Jesus says to labor. Think of a week of youth camp. Jesus says that every day towards him. Labor 
that you might know Him. Why seek you, Jesus? Labor for what will endure, work, give effort to everything that you can that will never fade away. Labor with all you've got for everlasting life, and everlasting life is to know Him. We'll find throughout the rest of chapter 6 that the more and more Jesus speaks with the bread believers, the more their life and their belief in Him will fade out of the picture. They go from full faith in verse 14 to questioning and doubting in verse 30. In fact, after Jesus speaks to them a difficult saying, as they coin it, we read in verse 66, turn with me to, uh, back to John 6, verse 66. I know I'm, I told you I'm going to turn you through the book of John. John 6, 66. That's not good. <laughs> it's his word. It's got to be good. John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Maybe the saddest verse in the entire book of John. These same devoted disciples, these same passionate people who were seeking Jesus in less than one chapter walked away completely. Fizzled out. Done. Not because they found the wrong guy. Not because they didn't believe in who he said he was. Not because they had not experienced his miracles, but they would walk away and follow him no more because they sought Jesus for the wrong purposes. Why seek ye Jesus? Still amidst the audience that day, though, all hope was not lost. Amongst the crowd that day, there were 12 men. 12 men who heard the same difficult teachings as the rest of them. 12 men who were challenged by the same text that Jesus said. 12 men who were struggling with the same expectations as the rest in the crowd that day. But, while the rest of the disciples walked away and walked with him no more, Peter would declare in verse 67, Jesus says unto them, Will you go away also? Peter says, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, where else, where else, where in the world else could we go? No, we're not walking away. You have the words of eternal life. You are the Christ. No, I will not turn away. No. No, Lord. Though the bread believers sought the blessings of Jesus, Peter and, the all, Peter and all the others, they sought Jesus to know him. And there is only one singular place in all of life that you truly can come to know Him, and that is Him. Him. If the goal of a Christian's life is to know Him, where else can you go? To whom shall we go, Lord? It's you or nothing. Jesus or bust. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. To whom shall we go? What other choice do we have? What options are there? If you truly believe eternal life is about knowing Jesus and you fully believe that only by coming to Him in faith you can know Him, then where else can you go? How could we walk away, Lord? There's nowhere else to turn back to. Only Jesus has eternal life. Only He is the Christ. Why seek ye Jesus? Sure, when we serve Christ, don't get me wrong, We reap the benefits of believing in Him. Praise God. 
Absolutely, in believing upon Him, we receive redemption and heaven is our home. But just as much as grace and the blood and His, His mercy and heaven are a part of our salvation, what I want us to comprehend is equally desperate dependence upon Him is a part of salvation. The reason that Peter and the others followed Jesus wasn't because it was easy. It wasn't because it was popular. It was not because of who they were, but it was because of who he was. Because there was nowhere else to go. No one else had what they sought. No one else could give them the ways of eternal life. No one else could lead them to God. No one else could provide the light and darkness in their life. No one else could give them spiritual rebirth. It was literally Jesus or bust. That's it. Lastly this evening... Jesus knows people. He knows our pursuit. He knows our purposes. But the best yet is that Jesus knows our proper reasons for following Him. Jesus knows each of us intimately. He can knows us. Catch this, guys. Yet, He made a way. He made a way through His Word that we could knowsko Him. <laughs> He made a way that we could intimately know Him the way that He intimately knows us. What kind of God does that? Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He desires for us to seek Him. He has made a way that we can know Him. He has made a way through His Word, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, that we could come to intimately know Him. Think about that for a moment. And this is why He came. This is eternal life. John 17 tells us to know Him. To know Him. To know Him. This is eternal life. Jesus came to earth to be made known and to make His ways known that we could know Him. Give us life more abundantly, which is knowing Him. And once you truly get to know Him, once you intimately experience Him, once you gnosko Him, your life is incapable, incapable of ever being the same. This is John's entire point of the gospel that he wrote. Every chapter summarized. This is his point. He writes that Jesus was the Word made flesh, and He is the life and the light of man. And those who come to the light, John writes, do so that their deeds may be brought into light and darkness dispelled. In John 3, we read that he came to give us a newness of life, a rebirth, not in a physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, born again into his likeness. Born not of man's will, John says, but reborn of the will of God. In John 4, he writes that true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then we go on to chapter Chapter 4, and Jesus meets a woman at a well. He shines his light into her life, and she believes on him and leaves and turns away and says, I have met the man who knows everything I've done. Light shone upon her life. Everlasting life right there. Jesus proclaims that he is the only way to receive eternal life. The only way to escape condemnation is to believe, gnosko, upon him. Church, why seek ye Jesus? If you truly follow the outline of the book of John, you'll find that this is the correct answer to the question. 
Though some follow him for the blessings and the benefits and the bread, though some seek him for what will one day pass away, Jesus hides from them. He dodges those disciples. But if you will seek him to know him, if you will gnosko him, intimately experience him, have his light shone upon the dark crevices of your life, expel the darkness in your deeds. If you will seek Him to be born again, rebirthed by the Spirit into the will of God, if you will seek and believe upon Him, then, then, you will have everlasting life. Why seek ye Jesus? He has come to be made known. He has come to forever change who we are into His likeness. He has come to overhaul our lives, make us into new creations in Christ, where the old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. How have we ever gotten to the place today where Christians have no interest in becoming like Christ? How does that happen? Where Christians, where the name Christian is nothing more than a nifty name tag or a bumper sticker on your car and means nothing. You act nothing like him. You live nothing like him. How did we get to the day when Christians can come to church and feel perfectly fine living sin-wrecked, fruitless, ineffective, carnal lives? Where Christians have no fruit in their lives because they're living for themselves and it's accepted as the norm. How do we lose track of even having a desire to be more like him? We could talk about heaven. We could talk about the feeling of the spirit upon us. We could talk about all these things and all of a sudden interests are peaked and we are excited and we are ready. But becoming more like Jesus, seeking eternal life, which is to know him, Well, we're not so interested in that. Bread, believers. How have we become so focused on what he can do for us? What he can give us? What he can provide for us? How he can protect us? That we no longer care about living out his will and his ways and his words. Because this is eternal life, to know him. And only he has the way. Why seek ye Jesus, church? Do you want to be more like him this evening? Do you want newness of life? Do you truly desire to know him, to know his ways, to have his light shown upon your dark deeds in your life? Do you truly have a desire to daily be born again, to be rebirthed into God's will and out of the will of man? Why seek ye Jesus? Do you seek Jesus to know him, to intimately experience who he is? This is is eternal life. This is what it takes to avoid condemnation. This is what it takes to receive heaven as your home. Know Him. Love Him. Live for Him. And do His will. Why seek ye Jesus? If Jesus is the only one who has the way to eternal life, and only his ways can get us eternal life, then we are left with no choice, church. We have no wiggle room. Complete and utter dependence and submission to his will, his way, his word. Be a doer, not just a hearer of his word. Eternal life is knowing God and the Son whom he have set. A true disciple, a true believer is one who seeks Jesus to know more of him, to learn more of his ways, to seek more of his will, to become more like him. If tomorrow the bread dries up, if tomorrow 
Jesus says, never again will I bless your life. Never again will I give you a single earthly blessings ever again till the day you die. Will your reasons for seeking him sustain you? Why seek ye Jesus? That's the true question. Why seek ye Jesus? And only one answer will do. Don't forget, he knows. He gnoscos you. He has an intimate knowledge of who you are and what is within you, and he perceives your reasons for seeking him. Church, I ask you one last time, why seek ye Jesus? We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.